Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of Terry Talks Fiction. Today, we have an interview with Thomas Lay, author of the dark fantasy novel, The Age of Reckoning, which was released in May, 2019, and will be available in paperback from August, 2019. Thomas, how are you? Hi, Terry, um, I'm excellent, thank you very much. Thank you for having me on your show. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you here. So for those of us who aren't familiar with you or your work, or even what dark fantasy is as a genre, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you like to write? So um, I started writing when I was about 15, 16, um, when I was in school. Uh, I always had an, uh, a, um, an interest in fantasy, like Lord of the Rings, for example, um, is the most popular one that people probably know uh, and are familiar with. Um, but I, I like to delve into my fantasy and world building. I've always liked it into a slightly more gritty way um think game of thrones is is quite gritty um because to me that's that's more realism that is more what uh sort of history tells us um history is a, is a very brutal storyteller as we as we know um and the seed for my um story came sort of to me in quite a, a hellish nightmare I have to say um and uh I sort of developed it from there into this dark fantasy work which so it's a, a completely unique world that's been built from scratch with its own uh races its own uh, it's got one other language the world building aspect is kind of what makes fantasy fantasy in that it's it's a world completely separate from our own and um, with its own laws its own systems uh, its own races for example Perfect. I, I did notice going through, um, I had a bit of a read of The Age of Reckoning myself and just the complex political history that you've got in there going between the races and the, the history of those races and how they came up, what they've turned into over time and how they all interrelate with each other. Seems like there was a, there was a lot of sort of deep world building there. Did that come about as you were building the world or as you were creating the story and you realised, oh, I've got this good opportunity to sort of flesh all these elements out now that we're sort of right here in the middle of it. Yes, yeah, so it, it was a bit of both. Um, the, the story itself uh, is 10 years in the making, um, believe it or not, and it's been through so many iterations, uh, that I, I'm countless, I, I can't even begin. Uh, the very original first, first draft has long gone. It's been, it, it was deleted years ago. I, I wish I hadn't because it would be interesting to read and see how it's changed. Um, but there was a point where I was sort of, patching over holes that was just creating more holes and um i decided to just shake it up i, I removed everything i took the elements that i liked the most the characters i liked the most um and then built everything from scratch so it was, it was another completely different world so I've, it's kind of been through two rebirths i would say um so the world of nisus as it as it is now uh is sort of the phoenix from the ashes of what came before i can't even remember the name of the world that came before um but yeah so that the whole world building kind of started from there um and it took me one or two years maybe to to just build the lands the history the races um make sure everything intertwined correctly before i picked a point in the in nisus's history and went from there and sort of 
I'll tell this story because I think this will be the most fascinating. Um, and then obviously as I'm writing it, I think, oh, the, there's something missing. I'll add that into the world building. So it, it is a bit of both where it did start fl uh, fleshing out more as I started writing and editing. And, and even now, the first book sort of done and released um, and I'm writing the second one, I'm still fleshing it. I'm still thinking of things that should go in. And um, But I, it's, it's never anything that's not mentioned or alluded to before so it, there's nothing that sort of springs up out of nowhere it, it all comes from somewhere relatable which I, I feel like I've handled quite well so um it's it's ever evolving and changing as real life does the world definitely hangs together uh, really well it's obvious when you're reading through that you've put a lot of time into developing out you know where everyone is what characteristics each uh, races have and sort of why those characteristics have come to the fore it's really, uh, it's really just to hear you say that. So it sounds like you sort of start with this world, this large spanning history. And then would you say you have you sort of worked out the progression of how that world's history goes? And then you've gone back in and found an interesting point to, to set the, set the stories. Have you? Yeah. So uh, the history has been based. There's, so I'm not going to say it's been written because it hasn't, but it's there are points in history that I know just just to keep things sort of together. Um, but I don't necessarily like expanding on those points too much because that could be a future project and that could be another trilogy or a standalone or novella or something just to explain. So I've got characters whose origins I'm aware of, but I haven't bothered delving in. So I, I make maybe two or three lines up in my head and write it down somewhere. Um, in a document that I've got that keeps everything sort of in order and anything beyond the age of reckoning which obviously the world of Nisus is in currently in this series hasn't been written at all there are not even any points um, because I'd like to keep the future as unpredictable as possible and it's hard because uh, in my recent walks to and from work I've been listening I listen to music when I walk to work and walk back and the story just goes in my head it, there's more now and there's the future has been decided kind of and I'm like oh don't decide yet because I've not finished this series finish this series then decide because something might change yeah my, my writing process is is an interesting one <laughs> it, the great thing I guess about fantasy writing and, and fantasy writers uh, in general is being able to get consumed by that world though you obviously mentioned Tolkien at the start as a as a big influence and it's uh it's really good and really interesting to hear that you seem to have sort of I guess a similar process of just fleshing out all these elements of the world and then seeing where things can be taken once you've got that I guess basically that structure in place leaving yourself some wiggle room is good especially considering the way that uh, the Age of Reckoning ends. We won't go into spoilers here uh, for anyone, but uh, yeah, it, it certainly shakes things up uh, a fair bit yeah. <laughs> in the final chapters. And yeah. uh, it, it'll be really interesting to see, I guess, where that goes. Certainly there's um, a thread that seems that's going through it. You'd see very, very early. Uh, that will yes. be very interesting to see where that develops to in, in coming yeah. out books. It's hard not to be too uh, terribly vague <laughs> when we're trying to avoid spoilers, yeah. I guess, for all those people who are exactly. going to go out and get the book. So, <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> uh, was that always sort of the plan that you had when you started at this point of the story, not knowing exactly sort of what was coming forward? Do you still sort of know when you started The Age of Reckoning? You know, so chapter one, first page have a pretty good idea where you wanted that story to end up and where you wanted the characters to end up, the, the different races 
by the end of the story? Or was that something that sort of developed as you were going and uh, were there any surprises uh, along the way, a character going off and doing something unexpected or anything like that? Yeah, there was there was many surprises. My my characters became almost human to me, and they kind of chose their own destiny. And it was it's really peculiar. So for me, the Age of Reckoning is a story in a timeline, and that story is split into three sections. So the the whole story uh, was pointed out from start to finish. This is what I want to happen at this point. This is what I want to happen here, and this is what I want to happen here. And then I sort of ignored the final two points and sort of right focus on the first book in the trilogy this is what this book is going to be about this is going to be the introduction the world building the character introductions what's going on the start of the whole journey the whole process with a mind of knowing where book two and three are going to go so making sure things kind of head in that direction and then I sort of flesh out part one kind of (laughs) I mean it's fleshed out but still quite loose so when I go for my first draft I basically just word vomit onto a page I basically just just write from start to finish as much detail as I can get in about what happens in the story. Don't worry about too much about spelling. I don't worry about grammar too much in the first draft. I don't worry about even descriptions too much. I just kind of write what if I get stuck, I just write what I want to happen in that scene in a very literal sense. Instead of being really descript, I'm just like, this character does this, this kind of thing. And then I'll go back to it later. Um, I just want to get the bare bones down. Then I end up with this hideous skeleton of a story, basically. And then I go through and I go through my first edit. And that's where I check, I flesh things out. Um, I make sure the plot is good um, and tight. I make sure that the story flows and reads quite well. Still not too worried about spelling and grammar, but I will pick up if I spot them. Um, I won't be necessarily looking out for them, but obviously when I'm word vomiting, it's everywhere, (laughs) it's riddled. Um, So when I spot them, I just pick them up as I go. But then this is where it, the story kind of changes at points as well. A plot point that I'm like, right, that is certain, that should happen. I'll then reread it and I'll be like, that, does, that doesn't work. That character wouldn't do that at that time. That's out of character for them. They wouldn't. And that, that can swing something massively. That can change um, an entire scene that I'll end up having. To, uh, sometimes I have to delete an entire chapter and rewrite it. Although I, I never delete anymore. I always store... I've learned to store because sometimes it happened where I deleted something. I was like, no, that was really good. I could have done with that, but I've got to rewrite it. And I can't remember exactly what I wrote. So, so yeah, now I just store. And then if I need to refer to it, I will. And I sometimes copy and paste a bit. And yeah, when I've done the first edit and got to go through it, um, I, I set my beta readers loose on it. They read through it. They check everything that I was checking in my first edit, basically. They, they read it as someone who is as a reader, someone who's not me. So they will read it with a fresh pair of eyes and they'll, I love them for being brutally honest with me, um, which is why I've asked all of them from the start. I'm like, if it sucks, tell me it sucks because I need to know. I need to know if it's bad. And they do, they're amazing. They're like, oh, this bit's rubbish. You need to change it. <laughs> or this character shouldn't do this. That, that would anger everyone. And so I'm like, okay, brilliant. So I take all their suggestions and comments that they leave all over the document on board and I do my second edit address everything they've said um, and then I do another sweep through checking more for spelling and grammar and, and um, flow this time <clears throat> and then it basically goes into the professional edit stage and then everything like that and in every single stage along the way things are still added things are still fleshed out things are still changing it's, it's sort of ever changing and I, I don't think there's ever a point where I can be 100% absolutely satisfied with what happens because there's just too much to include. I just need to get it to a point where I'm satisfied 
that everything that should happen has happened or is happening. Even even now, I'm I'm doing I'm going through one more round of edits um, on the on the Age of Reckoning Part One, um, ready for the final print version. And there are still a, a very few very minor sentence changes that are going on as well. So it's it's still uh, obviously the ebook will be updated as well. So if you already do have the ebook, um, don't worry that will that will be updated. So yeah, it, it was still going through all of that, and then. Book two is obviously going through the same process right now. Uh, book three is not even written yet. So who knows what's going to change before then. It's really interesting. It's almost like writing a eulogy in a lot of ways, getting a pinning something down from a fantasy world on paper. How do you distill so much history, so, oh, so much information down into a one cogent narrative with a very clear start and finish? It's an interesting task. It sounds like though you've yeah, really absolutely. got a very strong sort of writing process you say that the age of reckoning has taken you several years is that writing process something that sort of developed as you were doing the age of reckoning or is that something that sort of has always been your process since you started writing you know 15 16 um it's absolutely developed uh, my writing process when i started was nothing similar like it was barely edited we all obviously mature as people and, and our crafts mature with us, um, I like to believe, I hope. The work that I did when I was sort of 16, 17, when I started um, the whole world of Nice. well, it wasn't called Nisus back then, but it was it was called the Dream Shards, I think. And I can't remember the world's name that it was set in. It was, it was very, very different. But my writing process back then, when I was writing that, was infinitely different to what I, what I write like now down to the style, down to even the voice, it, it's completely changed and matured with me. And the more iterations it's gone through, the better it's gotten every time. And I, I believe that, um, that I, I believe that shines through. I believe that you can see in it that it's, it's something that has been meticulously crafted and, and has taken uh, an immense amount of failures to make it what it is. Um, nothing's great on the first go, right? You have to practice and so practice makes perfect is you know is the term and that's absolutely true and i believe that's what's happened with my writing process um and that process i've described i've kind of only solidified in the past two years maybe so i didn't really follow this process when i wrote the first book of the age of reckoning i followed a kind of a different process before i sort of realized that i could have made it a bit easier for myself um, and then I developed this process, which I've just described. And who knows, that might change in the future as well. As, as I keep growing as, as an artist and a writer, hopefully that will improve still. Very cool. So was that first iteration of Nasus that you did, that they then pulled apart to re recreate, to rebirth Phoenix from the Ashes into this uh, new version? Was that the first project that you've ever really brought to completion, like from start to finish a full full narrative work? Or is that, have you worked on other things leading up to this? Uh, that first iteration only made it 10 chapters in before I pulled my hair out over it and thought, this is terrible. This is truly awful. <laughs> Nobody is going to read this and enjoy it before I tore it down with both hands and pulled at its tendons until I had something that I could rescue um, and craft. together the new, the new story. Yes, that's exactly it. Um, so The Age of Reckoning is actually the first full-length novel that I've ever, ever brought to completion, which I know a lot of other writers might sort of shun me for that um, because they sort of uh, write loads and loads and then they have their prize work at the end. But um, I feel like because I've because it has taken so many iterations and I have been working on it for such a long time, 
I feel that it's not just one novel I finished at the minute. I've, I must have written 10 of 12 novels worth just to get it to the point it's at now. Um, so I do feel like I have like crafted more than one to completion, but technically this is the only fully completed one. Um, I have written short stories before that um, some of them are published on Creepypasta because I used to write a few horror short stories. I could never write a horror novel. I'm Stephen King blows my mind how he can turn a horror into like a full length and any other horror novelist for a fact it's I'm, I'm in such admiration because I can get a horror idea and I can put it into a short story but making that into a full length book I have no idea how to do so horror works really well in a short format though I think one of the best horror stories I think I've ever read in my life was something like eight sentences long and it was wow. you know, like, you know, talk about distilling the, the sense of what you're going for in that one. But yeah, it's interesting because horror with that scene set, scene setting and I guess a depth of history and a depth of character development isn't really as important as the environment and the, the feeling you get when you're reading through horror. Yeah. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's interesting how different those skill sets are in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And with fantasy as well, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's probably one of the most meticulous genres to write because you are just weaving everything yourself. There's not a lot of real world stuff to go on, but it, it all depends on the author, of course. Um, but if you're doing like a high fantasy or an epic fantasy or dark fantasy, then it tends to take place in its own world and therefore you're responsible for making sure everything is consistent. And I, I believe that's the, the key thing is consistency. If you're, you can have whatever laws and magic and whatever you want in your world, as long as it's consistent. Um, and then I think it's more believable. Yeah, I, I have to absolutely agree with that. So at Terry Talks Fiction, we talk a lot about setting a, setting a context for your novel and one, yes. you know, making sure that everything within that is, is still, you know, it's related to each other in a you know, consistent way. It's, uh, I think it's the, yeah, obviously the best way to keep a reader reading through rather than say, well, hang on, how come yeah. all of a sudden there's something, you know, <laughs> why is yeah. King Aerith just all of a sudden got this ability when you didn't ever see it before? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. That's one of the things I'm so nitpicky about. So I'm sure that there's nothing in there. Um, and if there's something I do want to add in the future, I make sure to drop a hint about it in the past, just so that it becomes a consistent thing. But if it's something completely outrageous, so say I've, I've written three books and then I go to do the fourth one and there's all of a sudden something new that wasn't mentioned in the first three, I will question myself on it. And if I really want it to appear, then I will I'll work tirelessly to make sure that it's explained in a way that makes it believable and makes it make sense with the laws that already exist. I feel like the uh, the Rose the Matrix trilogy could have uh, been listening to you there. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, the first film's great. The second two, I'm like yeah, so carried away. Yeah, it's interesting too to hear that you say you've got that background in horror and and creepy because they're you know fitting for the theme of dark fantasy. I guess there are some really unsettling elements of the story, the, the Age of Reckoning one. Particularly, uh, I thought that the Forsaken were a very interesting race. Uh, just the genesis of the Forsaken and the way that they act throughout the story is, uh, it, it is consistent and it's, it's a really interesting take on the idea of the undead or the undead army. Uh, would you like to talk a little bit about how you develop 
them and, and what sort of drew you to this expression of that general genre staple of, uh, of you know, the zombie um, repurposed and, and made into something new in your world? Uh, so originally in the dream shards back in the day, they were, um, they were uh, basically a species of vampire. Again, it's another influence, isn't it? Um, I grew up watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer, basically, in my childhood, and that was the best. And so I've always liked um, Creatures of the Dark, and um, I've been fascinated by urban myths and things that, things that make you a bit, a bit afraid to go to sleep at night. I've always had a little bit of a fascination with things like that. So I that did really want... actually, that really comes across in the story too, because there's a couple of very key scenes where sleep and dreams really play back into the narrative so yeah i can absolutely. absolutely see where that sort of influence has come into the story thanks <laughs> yeah um there's yeah I, I do try and things that interest me i try and definitely put into my book um so yeah so with the forsaken they're obviously originally a type of vampire and then when it came to rewriting i thought have vampires been overdone like are they i kind of want something unique that so basically the original one i had the old vampire werewolf trope and when I was recrafting, I thought, I don't really want that. I want, I want something different. I want something that people haven't really experienced before. Um, and you can, you can see, so the, obviously the, the Wolven uh, have taken the werewolf, like the old werewolf kind of trope, but they're not werewolves because they, they don't have a human form. They're just, they're just creatures that have evolved from, from forest hounds, uh, like from wolves and things like that. Um, it's, it's kind of a look at what wolves might look like in another few million years of evolution which is again another another believable aspect of it um and with the forsaken i i wanted a a kind of a, a human that wasn't human that was kind of against humans and i needed a reason for that and i thought what well, what do humans fear and it's death humans do fear death it's a fear shared commonly amongst almost every human being alive today and and even if you say oh, i don't really think about it, i don't fear it I do believe that if you were in a situation where your life was threatened, you would feel that fear. It's, I think it's a, a fear of just not existing anymore. Um, and so I kind of wanted to play that into the story. Um, and, and so the Forsaken were kind of born as this race that were dead, but still animated, still intelligent, still capable of everything that humans are capable of, but they're, quite, they're different. And the humans kind of view them as a, uh, as a reflection of of what's to come and it's it's like a reminder of their own mortality and so they end up sort of shunning the forsaken and uh the forsaken split off and develop this hatred of the living because they were basically cast away for no other reason than fear and uh, yeah i wanted to create something that really captured that and i've uh, the forsaken are one of my favorite races in the book because of that um because of that horror uh influence and because of the the human fear that i've put into them as characters. I really appreciate as well that, uh, and I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say, but that the reason that they've come into being was just sheer bloody minded stubbornness as well. I think yes. that's uh, a really yeah, nice, exactly. a really nice flavour to them, and it does actually set up quite a lot about the way that they work politically uh, as well. Just yeah. that, that Genesis story of just looking, staring down the god of death, basically, and saying, you know, no. I'm, I don't want to do this. I'm going to go yeah. back. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, so definitely not a spoiler. Yeah. So obviously the way the way the Forsaken come back is they, they yeah as you say they do they have to have the willpower for it. They genuinely have to 
go to the god of death it's not my time so i'm going back and they have to fight her so they have to be strong enough to to fight her and win and yeah it's, it's about sheer mind power do you think that uh, that's one of the elements obviously that works well in the story and you, you seem to have enjoyed playing with what would you say is like your favorite thing about the story is it is it a world building or a character moment maybe it's a particular scene what excites you about the about the age of reckoning has to be my characters and I, I say that because when I submitted the what I thought was the final draft at the time this is uh, again another three or four years ago perhaps to an editor um, to say can you go through and do a final polish edit I've got a professional editor before I start submitting to agencies and I got a comment back obviously they have to be honest and it was your characters are very wooden so, oh, no, sorry, this wasn't there. This was to a beta reader, a professional beta reader, who came back and said, your characters are very wooden. So I took that on board. I went and I spent time with them. And that, that sounds, it's, it makes you sound insane for saying, I spent time with my characters, but I sort of tried to get into their minds and be them. I sort of tried to imagine how they'd react based on their traits and personalities. I sort of tried to build them up from within myself, if that makes sense, um, and then project them onto the page. Um, and that's when they really sort of came to life for me. And I, I really in that moment sort of had kind of an epiphany of how to make these characters tangible and how to make them lovable to the point that when I did submit to the professional editor, her comment was that the characters were incredibly well-developed and her favorite part. So it went from you have wooden characters with no personality to your characters are incredible because I, I decided just to spend time with them. And because of that process of me sort of hanging out with all of my characters and um, getting to know them, and then basically giving them the pen, I, I basically let them run the story for me um, because they know how they react to things. They know uh, what is right for them to do and what they would do and what they wouldn't do. So as I'm writing a scene with characters, I sort of get my mindset into them and then I think, right, okay, well, this person's... A really cocky spiteful person so she's gonna obviously kick off at this comment she's going to insult people all the time she's just what she's going to do she's going to have ulterior motives and the she i refer to is obviously captain lavana who is the pinnacle she is my absolute favorite she's not the queen in this book but she's the queen of sass that's for sure so <laughs> yes definitely she's, she's the queen's best soldier basically she's the captain of the forsaken um, and she writing her is incredible fun to the point where she was again skirting around the spoilers <laughs> originally in my original outline planned to be killed off quite early on and suffice to say that didn't happen because she just captured me in a way that i thought there's more she's got more to this story she's she's not she can't be done here she has so much more to offer to this world and she knows it so she kind of put a gun to my head and say, keep me in this story or I will kill you. <laughs> they see their own death scene coming up and oh, we just might write around that one. So. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what she did. Um, and yeah, she's, she's just fascinating and captivating as a character. And uh, yeah, she's my, my proudest creation, I think. I love her. That's really cool to hear, actually, because I, I quite enjoyed the captain. I thought she was, uh, <laughs> she was really, I was saying, she was the queen of sass. She was very determined about what she wants. Absolutely. <laughs> Certainly when, the, when she and, uh, and Queen Lucia are, are at loggerheads, you know, it's really, yeah. it's really interesting to see that power dynamic. They are an interesting pair. <laughs> so obviously the characters being such a big part of the book, did you find it was more an exploration of character in the end, dropping these characters into the world that you'd created? 
or is there an underlying theme for the story that you really wanted to bring out? The book really starts very differently to the way that it ends. And that was something that struck me as, as I was working through. There's just, there's this point where everything sort of flips. Was that something that you really wanted to focus on with going into the story or did that more naturally come out of putting these characters in the world, watching them run around and seeing what they do? So uh, that was always part of the plan. Um, I, I definitely wanted that dynamic to happen because my, my sort of running theme was that everybody has a motivation for what they do, with the exception of Captain Lavana, obviously, who just does it for fun. Um, but, uh, but even she has her motivation. She's got... Tons um, of motivation. Yeah, yeah, that's it. She's got something that drives her. Um, and I wanted to portray that while you may have an ideal of what you want to happen, there will always be obstacles, as King Aerith finds out. He obviously starts the book thinking his journey is going to be quite simple. He's got a plan in his head and he's like, what could possibly go wrong? Kind of naive attitude. And it's when he obviously starts, he starts the ball rolling with all the power play. He starts everything kicking off. Because of him, things happen that he obviously hasn't intended to happen and probably wouldn't have happened without his good intentions. So his his motivation for something he believes, he truly believes that everyone would want world peace, right? Who doesn't want world peace? That's, that's the thing that everyone strives for. He very quickly learns that not everyone does want world peace. Greed takes over, people's other motives take over. Um, and he obviously finds himself in some very, very difficult situations because of that. It does temper him throughout the book. There's obviously the point, uh, there's a point where he does kind of change a bit as a character when he realises things aren't going to go his way unless he sort of makes a few sacrifices that he wouldn't have liked to have made. People are different. Humans are different. And therefore, the characters in my book are different. They all have different motivations. They've all got positive traits, negative traits. Um, and again, it's, it's a very, very character-driven story. So while I have, like you said, I have just dropped them in the world and let them run around, I have had a plan for them. Uh, it's just how they've made their way to that plan is kind of their doing. So I've, I've guided them on a little path and they've chosen the, the points along the way, if you will. It's always really interesting to hear how different authors approach the same sort of we've all sort of got the same building blocks really of you know story yeah. character language and it's really interesting to see how they come together just that a little bit differently for uh for every author absolutely thank you so much for sharing that with us today uh thomas it's been really great to talk to you get a bit of an insight into how you've brought together the world for the age of reckoning where can we get your book uh, thank you for having me on the show. It's, it's been amazing. It's been wonderful. Um, so my book is available on Amazon at the minute. If you just type in The Age of Reckoning, I have a website that everything is linked on my website. So if you want to find my social medias, the Amazon links, so it's www.naesus.com. It's N-A-E-I-S-U-S. So if you head there, naesus.com, all of my links, the, the buy links, the social media links, um, the contact links, everything is there. Well, I'll definitely put a link to, to both those places in the show notes as well for, uh, for people to, to click on through. Thank now you. that you've got that book out in the world and the paperback is coming out uh, in August, what are you working on next? Are you continuing the story of The Age of Reckoning with the next uh, couple of books in the series or do you have some side projects that you're working on at the same time as well? So my mind is swamped with Nisus at the minute. Everything, everything I'm doing is about Nisus. So I'm currently 
editing the second book. So the second book's written, but I'm currently editing it. Then my beaters are going to go through it. Um, then I'll edit it again. Then it'll be ready for submission. So providing that I don't procrastinate too much, um, we might see some news about that sort of later this year. And then I imagine I'll be straight on to book three. Uh, I do have a few side projects that definitely need some attention. There's one in particular that I'm very excited about, but I've not written anything on it in a, over a year because again it's just been all about analysis at the minute but I like to experiment um, and I think people might get that from my books is that I, I do take risks and most of them work out because my beta readers catch the ones that don't <laughs> so the risks that I've taken that haven't worked you probably won't see in the final prints which is really quite good that's why again why I'm so thankful to my beta readers the absolute value of editing we love it yeah this is exactly it so my side project is tampering with a genre that I've never, never approached before. So that's quite scary. So the research has been pretty um, intense on that, which is romance. But I'm mashing it up with horror, which is obviously, as I've, I've mentioned earlier, a genre that I'm definitely more familiar with. And it's both of those genres are combined with sci-fi as well. So I'm trying this nice experimental horror romance sci-fi mashup. That seems to be going very well. Um, the, the, my beta reads, when I explained the premise of the story to them, got very excited about it. They just said that they hope I could pull it off, and I, I too hope I can pull it off. <laughs> but, um, we'll see. You might never hear anything of that again, <laughs> depending on what the final edit comes up like. But um, that's kind of my side project at the minute, is this experimental thing. Fantastic. That sounds really interesting, actually. I'm, I'm keen to see what what comes of that in the uh, the months and years to come. Thanks. Well, thank you so much again, uh, Thomas. Did you have any final thought that you might have wanted to leave with the listeners? Something that sort of sums up yourself, the world of Niasis, or the way that you approach the writing process? Uh, so it's just to say, if, that you're, if you're looking for a really immersive, law-rich and character-driven dark fantasy story, um, then, yeah, maybe give Niasis a read, because I... I don't think you'll be disappointed. That's confidence coming out there, isn't it? You won't be disappointed, <laughs> I should say. <laughs> no, I don't think. I mean, you won't be disappointed. Fantastic. Well, I certainly wasn't disappointed when I, when I got the chance to read through it. So well done. And thank you again for coming on the podcast. Approval from the man himself. That's amazing. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks for listening. For more great content, including podcasts, short stories, interviews, and reviews, please check out www.terrytalksfiction.com. I look forward to talking to you all again soon.